Well, I wanted to begin today, well, I was really reflecting about what to, um, to, to talk on. A couple of new things are going to be happening this, uh, this year, as I met with one of our uh, elders this, this uh, last week or so. Um, you know, the, the other elders have all had a hand in teaching, and some of the other guys from the church have had a hand in teaching, and they did such a great job, especially this summer, in the summer in the Psalms, if you remember that, that it was suggested that perhaps they have uh, more regular opportunities throughout the year which would, um, one, uh, give them opportunities to grow in that uh, area, uh, maybe even open up opportunities to others who are like-gifted, uh, but also give a little bit of a break uh, to me throughout the year as well. And so what was discussed is that we would implement something like that once a month. And so beginning at this month, once a month, we're going to have one of our uh, guys uh, preaching the Word. Um, yeah, really cool. So uh, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll continue on in Hebrews. It won't be this week. I wanted to pick something different, but I plan on doing that next week, and then we'll have a guest speaker the following week, and then we'll have one each uh, month throughout the year, and looking forward to, uh, to that. But one of the things um, I was reflecting on a lot is uh, just, uh, just that it's been a while, probably since we studied 1 Corinthians, that we talked about being part of the church and using your gifts and all that. Uh, and I think a lot of times, too, if we, if we t- wait too long to say things about that, the, uh, the, the idea is that because everything is running, then everything's always covered, right? You, you come here, oh, they had a resolve ministry, so apparently that's all covered. Oh, they had this, so apparently that's all great. And there's no place for me to use my gifts. And never do we want people to feel that way here because everyone in this church is here because you're meant to use your gift that God has given you. And so we want you to uh, be doing that. And so one of the things I wanted to communicate was, yeah, there are opportunities this year that you can be a part of uh, serving. And so just uh, let us know what the Lord has laid on your heart. But I will also give you a couple of places that you could maybe even pray uh, about. Uh, one of the areas that uh, uh, my wife and I had to get more involved in this past uh, year was result, kicking that back up and getting going there. But it's not an area that I should be leading and being part of. It'd be great to have some other people in there running around with the kiddos, um, not just because uh, I, I don't want to or anything, but because others may have that gift and desire to do that. And so I'd like to make that known. You can pray about that. We have some leadership in there, but it's good to have a good number of people for those that are out or sick or busy or whatever it might be so that we can swap in and out on that. Um, and Resolve just meets every other Friday uh, throughout the year. And so that's one area I'd like you to consider, if you would. Um, the other area is really particularly to our, uh, to our men. Um, you know, you've seen these men come up and teach and whatnot, and, and that's just because in various scenarios where I've been with them, I've been able to see that they have a gift in the teaching area. Um, but maybe you feel you have that gift and haven't been able to express it or uh, show that. Talk to me. love to meet with you about it because we want our men... Um, solid teaching in the Word, and so we, we certainly want you to be part of that. Um, I would say also, kids' ministry, they always need help there. You can talk to uh, Rob and Ruth about, uh, about that. You have to do background checks and those things, but it's really important ministry. And then we have hospitality, and we have greetings, and we have welcome table, and we have lots of areas that people can be involved in. Um, and uh, one of the big ones that's going to be going undergoing some changes this beginning of the year will be our sound and um, audio-visual um, this computer is uh, basically dying. Uh, we've had it for about 12 years. We've purchased a new one. We're upgrading the software to a new pro presenter. 
Um, we'll be doing a training with Steve Vickery in Oxford uh, because he's um, learned everything there is to know about it, so it'll be a lot easier to learn from him. And we want to get a good, solid crew of people to do that because, um, as you know, some Sundays I need to be free not to be here, uh, traveling or whatever it might be, and we want to have a good number of people who know how to operate those kind of things. If you're gifted in that area, let me know. We'd love to get you to uh, be plugged into part of that. Um, and that made me think about more about the, the church and what we're to be doing, and, and we're coming into a new year, and maybe you've kind of felt sort of disconnected this year and you want to get involved more. Those are some ways to do it. But other ways are really... Uh, how we pursue, pursue the faith and how we uh, pursue uh, Christ. And I was looking at Paul's letters, and you know, Paul, he, he uses many illustrations, doesn't he, to communicate Christian living. Um, he, he knew how to use illustrations to do that in a, in a creative and effective way. He, he talks about the military in a way, doesn't he, uh, to sort of communicate it. You need to put on the full armor of God. And so you get this idea of like, oh, okay, I've, you know, there's a battle. Um, and, and we just sang about that. We also have the idea of uh, agriculture, uh, he'll bring into things where he, he says, uh, whatever a man sows, that he's going to reap. Um, and he uses agriculture in 1 Corinthians 3 as well. In fact, he uses two illustrations there. And I want to begin there in 1 Corinthians 3. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to do that, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But <coughs> here he uses two illustrations. He uses agriculture, and then he transitions into architecture, speaking about Christian living. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 11. Um, He's talked about agriculture up to that point, about he who plants uh, and waters are one, and he talks about the increase that comes from that. And then he transitions to this idea that we're a building. And in verse 11, he says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer a loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So here we have this idea of of building upon what Jesus has already begun in your life, that there's something to be added to it. Yes, Jesus does an initial work, but there's things that need to be added to it. And I think Paul wanted to offer some encouragement to this church. You remember the church in Corinth was a carnal church. He wanted to provide some motivation uh, to them to start contributing to the work of God because they were hindering the work of God, weren't they? So what was the motivation? The motivation was the future judgment of believers' works, the works that they did in Christ, whether they were worthy of reward, whether the way they were living their lives was actually worthy of recognition from Jesus Christ as worthy of something as a reward. And it's enveloped within the ultimate objective, obviously, of glorifying God in our lives. The Lord does desire to reward our works. It's it's pleasing to him to do that. So to desire to stand before Jesus, to desire to receive a reward, to desire to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, that should be good motivation for uh, each of us. And I guess my question would be, do you desire a reward? And I think we should all say, well, yeah, I I don't want to stand before Jesus and then be given nothing. Um, we, 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 We want to stand before him and have it done a good job with our lives because our lives aren't on our own. He purchased us for a purpose. 
we saw the verse at the end of the slideshow we showed last night. And don't worry if you missed out last night. We're going to show it again at the end of today. But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created to do those things which would bring honor and glory uh, to him. But the truth is we lose motivation, don't we? We get discouraged. We start good at the beginning of the year. That's what the whole New Year's resolutions is about, right? And then on day two, we're done. Uh, you know, it just gets, it gets you know, difficult. And I want to encourage people uh, to, to, to push on. And I want to use another one of Paul's epistles for this. And it's Philippians. So turn to Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. And this is where we'll pretty much stay today. Philippians chapter 3. I read from the passage earlier. In this passage, Paul uses another illustration to communicate some essential elements that are necessary for, for Christian growth, uh, for, for staying the course of faith. And it's not agriculture. It's not, uh, it's not sort of the military. It's, not the, it's, it's athletics, athletics, sports. And so in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16, I'm going to read it again. I only read to verse uh, uh, 14, but we're going to go all the way through 16 today. He gives us some essential elements here. So let me read it. It says this in verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. This is our passage today. Let's pray for God's blessing and uh, illumination of the Spirit as we read and study his word. Thank you, Lord, for the word to us today. We pray that you would bless our time. Holy Spirit, we need you here with us today to reveal these truths, to implant these truths upon our hearts, soften our hearts, open up these truths to us, Lord. Help us to see how important these, these elements are in, in, in implementing in our lives that we might run the race that we're called to run. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, Paul here is using the athletic illustration, competing in games. And the Greek games were still a very vibrant uh, uh, part of the Roman culture, the whole Hellenization of everything, right? The Greek culture was adopted. And an important note to, to, to make here is that in order to participate in the Greek games, you had to be a citizen. You couldn't be a foreigner. You had to be a citizen. Now, why is this an important note? Because here, Paul is not describing to us how to get citizenship into heaven. That's not what he's talking about. And the reason is we already are citizens. In fact, later on in this, if you just skip ahead to verse um, 20, you'll see that. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not trying to gain citizenship into heaven. The Christian life is not trying to earn salvation, to be good in order to gain those things. You are a citizen. Praise God. That's where our citizenship is and that we cannot lose that. Okay, so this is not a salvation issue. The issue is reward. That's the issue. We're not competing against one another. That's not the issue either. Okay, we are each individually in our own track. We're each individually running the race of faith, which in a sense looks different for each of us because we have different things going on in our lives, okay? 
but we're not compete. I'm not trying to beat you, and you're not trying to beat me. We're all running the same race, and that's really the idea here. It's winning the race, and that's what I want to speak to you about today. There are essential elements for winning a race. If you were a runner, you would understand that if you really wanted to win a race, there would be have to some uh, have to be some essential things to implement. It, the same is true in the Christian life. We cannot just sit back and go, well, okay. Let's see what happens. There are some specific things that need to happen, and here Paul describes them. There are five, five essential elements for winning the race, and I want to begin with the first one. The first one is this. It's going to sound weird, but it's dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction, but you'll see it for yourself. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. The first essential element is this. Don't be satisfied with where you are in your spiritual walk. That is spiritual apathy. That is for people who say, I've done it. I I, I did that part of my life at some point. I I read the Bible through once. Maybe I read the Bible through for 20 years straight. But I've done that, been there, done that. I've reached a plateau. I've kind of... That is never the case with the Christian life. Let me just tell you right now, you will never have arrived. I have not arrived. You arrive when you see Jesus face to face. That's when you arrive. The race is all the way up until then. And so you have to be dissatisfied with where you are. Now, I don't mean you go like, oh, I hate my life. That's not what we're talking about. But what I'm saying is that we look at our lives, we honestly evaluate ourselves, and we go, where do I want to be now? How much more growth should I have? Well, you know what we often do? We often compare ourselves to other Christians who are doing worse than us. We go, all right, well, hey, I'm a star, <laughs> all right? I am just stellar here. Listen, don't compare yourselves with other Christians in front of you or behind you. Compare yourself with Christ because if you compare yourself with Christ, you're always behind and always looking forward, and that is the idea looking forward to Christ. Notice what he says in verse 12. I've not already attained, lambano. I've not received, I've not been given this this prize. But then in verse 13, he says, I do not count myself to have apprehended. It's a a version of that word, catalambano. I haven't actually taken possession of it. So I haven't actually received it or taken possession of this, this goal, which is true. In a sense, it's ours, but we don't have it yet. It's not in our possession we're going forward to possess it at some point. So what Paul is looking at here is the reward. You don't have it. Peter tells us that it's kept in heaven for you. Do you remember that? It's there. We're going in that direction. But then he says something very interesting in verse 12 as well. He says, I'm also, um, it's not that I'm already perfected. I'm not, I'm not perfect. Teleo, I'm, I'm not complete. So we're not, um, we haven't received it, we haven't taken possession of it, and we're not perfect, we're not complete. But then he throws a sort of little spanner in the works a little bit further on, and I want to bring you to it, and we'll come back. Down in verse 15, therefore let us as many as are mature, and that word is complete, (laughs) have this mind. What is Paul talking about? How can he say, I have not arrived at perfection, but I am perfect? (laughs) <laughs> as many of us as are perfect. What he's saying is this, is this, there's a maturity level in a believer. And one mark of a mature believer is the knowledge that they're not perfect. That is a, a mark of a mature believer. If, if you've got some guy saying, oh, I've got it, they're not a mature believer. They have not uh, arrived. The mature Christian honestly 
um, strives forward constantly, evaluating themselves and looking at Christ, comparing themselves with, with Christ and no one else. And I have to give you some scriptures here that warn against having a false estimate of our spiritual growth, our spiritual condition. Remember Jesus in Revelation is walking through the churches. They've evaluated themselves, haven't they? They've determined where they are in their spiritual growth. And, and Jesus comes to say, well, I don't think so. In uh, the church in Sardis is, is in Revelation chapter 3. They think they're alive and they're vibrant. But Jesus comes in and says, what? No, actually, you're really dead. In verses uh, 1 to 2, he says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, <laughs> but you are dead. Be watchful. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works, what? Perfect before God. No church is perfect. No Christian is perfect. And if you don't honestly evaluate yourself, there's a great danger in having a false estimate. Jesus comes in and says, hold on, I see a whole different thing here. The church in Laodicea in Revelation 3, right? They think they need nothing, but really Jesus says, you need everything. In verse 17, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You think you'll have it all, but you actually need a whole lot. But it can go the other way too. The church in Smyrna was the opposite. In Revelation 2.9, they thought they were poor, but Jesus saw something else. He said, actually, you're really rich. You're really rich. You can go the other way as well. You can falsely look at yourself and, and, and estimate for the better or for the worse. In Revelation 2.9, he says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. See, they were looking at the outward. He says, but I see some gold inward uh, here. So making ourselves better than we are, like uh, Sardis and Laodicea, not good. But also making ourselves worse than we are, like Smyrna. That's a, there's a danger there too. So an honest, biblical evaluation of our spiritual selves should lead us to press on. That's what he says, press on. We're going to look at that word a little bit later. Why do we press on? That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Hmm. Well, what purpose has Christ Jesus laid hold of you? What do you think? He's laid hold of us. Why? Why has he laid hold of us? There's a purpose in that, isn't there? And 2 Corinthians 3.18 gives us a good, good picture of this. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What purpose do you have here on earth? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so you are being transformed into that thing that will ultimately glorify him forever. Glory to God should be a huge motivation. Glorification. And here's the thing. We cannot glorify ourselves, can we? We can't do that. I can't glorify myself. But we can move down that road toward it in that progress called sanctification, right? That's, that's how we're moving toward that. In Romans 8, 29 to 30... Well, Paul makes it clear uh, who really does this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. In, in God's eternal mind, his omniscient mind, it's all done. You have been glorified. 
from God's perspective. From man's perspective, we've got a long way to go, folks. We've got a long way to go. And so we want to continue in that race, but it begins with a dissatisfaction. We cannot get to that spiritual, apathetic position of, um, I've got all I need. I don't need to grow. You need to constantly be evaluating yourselves and be honest about it. One way to do that, if I can just honestly help you, um, get someone that's a discipleship partner. Have someone involved in your life. My wife has had the same person discipling her for years and never, she told me this week, never have they actually sat down and had a formal discipleship, never going through a book, never studying this. But this woman has been in her life for years and years and years, and she can sit down and honestly say, here's what I'm thinking. Am I wrong? Am I right? Like, where's... And this lady's able to say, hey, let me guide you here. That is so important. Every single one of you should have that person, everyone. So approach them, seek that person out and say, I need that person in my life. Because what that helps you do is to see the direction you need to go. You're right. I've got some growth to do. The second point, so be dissatisfied with your spiritual growth. Second is devotion. Devotion. You find this in verse 13, moving on. The second part of 13, because we saw, he says, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, this is really important. One thing. One thing. You know, one thing, that's an important phrase for the Christian life. You see it a lot. One thing. You remember the self-righteous, rich, young ruler? I mentioned him my last week or the week before uh, that. Came to Jesus. What, what's the one thing I must do to inherit eternal life? Do you remember Jesus' answer? I have it for you. It's Mark 10, 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. The man said, oh, I've obeyed the law. I've kept the commandments. I've done all these things. Jesus saw all through that. He says, you don't have devotion. There's one thing you lack. Sell everything. You're devoted to your riches. You're devoted to your life. Sell it all. Follow me. And he wasn't willing to do it because he lacked the one thing. Remember Martha? Martha and Mary. Martha was distracted, right? She was troubled and worried about many things. And she, she went to Jesus criticizing her sister. Tell her to help me. How did Jesus respond to to Martha, Jesus answered and said to her in Luke 10, 41, Martha, Martha, you were worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. She was busy. She was doing a lot for the Lord, but she wasn't sitting at the Lord's feet. There was one thing that was missing for her. You might remember Jesus healed a man who had been born blind, but he did it on the Sabbath. And so the eyes of the religious leaders, um, he was a sinner because he had done it on the Sabbath. And so they wanted the, uh, the man who had been healed to admit that Jesus must be a sinner, not a prophet, because he had done it. And this was the man's response in John 9, 25. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. You can't deny that work. God did something. So one thing is needed for us. You know, Christians were involved and were distracted. Well, everyone is, really, by too many things, to be honest. With just too many things going on in our life. And a lot of those things are just masquerading as devotion, a lot of it. We have to be really careful that the busyness uh, of our Christian lives isn't sort of translated as devotion. Look at all the things I'm doing for you, uh, Lord. Martha thought her busyness proved her devotion to Jesus, but she was completely, completely wrong. I've counseled many, many people, and I, I love to just listen to what they're saying, and, and it's usually the many things that have run them off course. That's many, many things, all these things, but 
They've forgotten the one thing. Psalm 27.4 gives us one thing. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You know, it's a matter of values and priorities, isn't it? We have to evaluate our lives and our priorities. What are we really pursuing in here? Are we really devoted to, to our relationship with God? There's a lot of great things about our church. I love our church. I loved last night. I love the fun. I love that we can just laugh at goofy games. I love those things. But those are just extra things. Those are, those are icing on the cake. The, the foundation of it should be our devotion and our unity and our love for the Lord. And that should be the primary thing. Jesus told us what the one thing is. In, in terms of priorities in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. We seek that first and we leave the rest to the Lord. So be dissatisfied with your spiritual condition. Be devoted essentially to Christ and him alone. Those are essential elements for winning the race. The third is direction. And that's in 13, um, the last part of verse 13. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching uh, forward to those things which are ahead. We, we forget the things that are behind. We reach forward. Could you imagine trying to run a race and, and constantly looking behind, behind you? I mean, you, you, you lose, <laughs> but you also probably stumble and fall. Um, we're told here that we're to forget those things that are behind. That word forgetting is a, a really long word to say in the Greek, but it's epilanthanomai, okay? And it means to no longer care for. It doesn't mean you, you, you've had your mind erased. I, I'm not a fool. I understand that. People have had hard things in the past. And so when the Bible says you need to forget those things, they're not saying, oh, you need to ha- have a, a sudden you know, blackout on those things. And that's not it. What it means is you don't care for those things anymore. Those things have no impact on your life anymore. The verse we read in Hebrews, when God says there are sins and iniquities, I will remember no more, doesn't mean that, that God just suddenly has a lack of memory what it means is that he no longer holds those sins against you. He no longer cares about those sins, which is incredible because God cares a lot about sin. But he no longer cares for those sins. We can't erase our memories. We can no longer allow those past memories to affect us by changing. We, we can allow them, uh, sorry, to affect our, our memories by changing their meaning. We, we change what those mean to us. We have a different eternal perspective. And you might remember this in Joseph's life. I mean, if you look at the life of Joseph, I wish, I wish we had some more, you know, um, I don't know, enlightenment in terms of what Joseph was thinking and feeling a lot of times. You don't really get that, do you? You know, oh, all right, you know, I'm in, I'm in jail. This is great. No, he's not saying that. But then he, 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 see, he sees an opportunity. Oh, there's a way I'm going to get out of this. This is going to be great. And it doesn't happen, right? So he's there again. You wish you could just see a prayer. Lord, why? Why are you doing this to me? And over and over again, he's just troubled. Did God have a different plan? He did, Right? In Genesis 45, I just want to read you to, because I want you to hear his perspective later, after those events in life. Those events were real. They were there. They happened. His brothers were harsh to him. They treated him unfairly. But then he was in a new position, and he had an eternal perspective. He was able to look back and see what God had done. So those things in the past now had a new meaning. They didn't go away, but they changed his perspective on what God was doing. In verses 1 to 15, Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. Remember, his brothers are before him. He cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. 
And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. And then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. So what's he start with? The fact you did this to me. You sold me into Egypt. But listen, he goes on. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Why? For God sent me before you to preserve life. And as you continue to read, he just keeps saying that. Don't worry about this because God meant this. Don't worry about this because God meant this. God was in the picture. So he's saying, listen, I have a whole different view of this now. That was a brutal thing you did to me. But now I recognize that actually, who did it to me? God. God sent me here. So you were unwitting servants of God doing that to me. But God did it to me. Have you looked back at some of the past hardships of your life and said, God did that because of what you see, what fruit you see in your life today? You should because Joseph did. Genesis 50, verse 20, this is what he ends with. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Oh, wow. You know, many Christians are shackled by their their past and they're trying to run a a race by constantly looking backward. And I'm just going to tell you, you cannot do that. You can't. I'm not telling you to race the past. But look at that past with a new set of eyes, would you? And look back and say, well, what was God doing in those things? What was he accomplishing? All right? Now, that can be a past regret, a past hardship, but it also can be a past success. That can be bad, too, because you can look at that. Well, hey, look at that's what I did for God, and there's been no progress ever since. That can be just as bad. I'm going to give you an example in 1 Timothy, if you want to turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul Paul had a past. Boy, he had a really checkered past, didn't he? <laughs> what did Paul think about his past? Verse uh, 12, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying that's worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you see what he says here? I had this horrible, horrible past, but God chose me to be this particular instrument. And it so blows his mind, he says, I got to give the glory to God. He's, he's, he's immortal. He's infinitely wise. I would look at this and say, oh, this is what happened, and this is bad. But God says, no, I've done this, and it's good. And that's the perspective we have to, to have. Look at Paul's past. His past failures actually gave him inspiration to speed ahead. Events did not change, but his understanding of them did. So we need to remember what direction we're headed. 
and forget the things that are behind us. Let those things go. So dissatisfaction, devotion, and direction, those are all necessary, but there's a fourth necessary element, and it's this. It's determination. We find that back in our passage in verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, We looked at that word uh, press. He used it in verse 12. That word press is dioko, and it means to follow after. And the Greeks used that to describe a hunter that was pursuing his prey. That's the idea. I'm seeking after. I'm following after. If you're a hunter and you're seeking prey, I mean, you've got to be really attentive, don't you? I mean, you're really following. It's not just I'm kind of blindly marching along. I am intently, devotedly, determinedly seeking him. I'm, I'm pressing on. We have to be determined to reach our goal. That has to be an element of the Christian faith. And there's two extremes, aren't there? And you probably already know what they are. And we, we go to these extremes. The one extreme is, I must do it all. It's all by my will. It's all by my power. I've got to do it. And listen, you do that. You do that over and over again. And you fail. And you just give up. I just keep trying. I just keep trying. And I can never do because you're coming from the perspective that it's all on your shoulders. You've got to do it all. That is absolutely untrue. But the other extreme is that God must do it all. You ever heard that phrase? It's catchy. Let go and let God. It's a catchy phrase, but it's not actually biblically accurate. We don't just let go and let God. We want a church building. People keep telling me we want a church building. Uh, and it's true. We've, we've done everything we can to get a church building in terms of the legal uh, things. And so I could just sit here and go, well, God will just provide. Yeah, he could just drop a building out of the sky. He could do that if he wanted. But he probably would be more pleased if we actually, on faith, pursued that. We looked for a building. Uh, So there's that element of it, okay? In faith, knowing that this is the direction I think God is pushing us to go, then we're going to go and look for a building. And you probably saw it in the newsletter, but this this year now, we're really going to step up our efforts on that, putting a little search committee together, and we're going to really pursue that. And probably last night was another reminder as to why we want to do that, because we won't get locked in Heath Park. Um, We'll get locked somewhere else. But the idea is that, you know, we, we want a, a place. We're determined to do that, not just because I want a place. Can I just be honest with you? Jody and I were having a discussion about this earlier this week, and it really struck me. She actually said these words, which is a great thing to remind her of your, your wives. They say wise things, so it's good to listen. Um, she said, you know what? Our church, we kind of act like a small church in a lot of ways, but we're not a small church. We really aren't. You remember at the Christmas party, we were in there, and the guys were next door at the bar or whatever, right? And there was a guy coming over talking, and he says, well, what's going on? I said, you, you're the church, you're one of the churches that's in there? I said, one of the churches? He goes, yeah, there was a, is it several churches? There's a lot of churches? He's like, no, it's one. He's, well, you must know something I don't. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, it's God. But um, <laughs> he was kind of shocked that there was this room full of people of various ages, because most of the churches are what? Older people, and they're dying. And I said, you know, a lot of a lot, of, a lot of truth in what Jody said. Like, in a lot of ways, we do act like a smaller church. But one of the reasons we do that is because we just don't have a place of our own. Because we cannot grow in that area. We do our best. We get involved with Ronald McDonald House. We're doing these things to kind of get out there more. But with a place of our own, we would have an opportunity to grow much more in that uh, area. Um, and I think that's so important. But we have to be determined to follow the Lord's leading in things. And if he's leading that way, we want to 
press toward that goal. Now, that's a little bit of a side goal, though, isn't it? What's the main goal? The determined goal is to reach Christ. That's it. We're going to be faithful to him, and that's the whole point here. We don't just go, let go, and let God. We, we put effort into it. Here's the perfect balance, John 15, 5. Jesus says these words, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So we need Christ. We have to be plugged into the vine. We've got to be there. And so that is just, uh, just, just walking closely with Jesus, which we're going to close with that song. A closer walk with him, plugged into him, understanding that his strength and his power flows into us. We need Christ, and Christ uses us. There's a wonderful, <coughs> wonderful verse in Philippians 2. If you're in Philippians, just turn back to verse, uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 12 to 13. They explain this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. What a confusing sounding verse. <laughs> you work out your, your salvation. You go work it out. I'm glad it didn't stop there, aren't you? Oh, man, I better work out my salvation, and I hope it works out. But it's God who works in you. God works in you. As you work out, as you pursue, as you pursue him, it's God's strength within you working through your efforts, through your pursuit of him. So there has to be that, huh, devotion. There has to be that determination. Basically, I have to say, like, you have to want Christ. If, if, if God just wanted a bunch of robots who blindly followed him, then that's what he could have made. But he gave us a choice, didn't he? He says, you can choose me or you can reject me. And he wants people who choose him, who love him, and who pursue him. We're determined to get Christ. And you know, Paul talks about this in a very specific race illustration in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, uh, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. That's amazing. You know what? That, that's the confidence that God gives us. If God's power is working in me to obtain salvation, to, it, it means into the eternal reward, I'll, I'll get that, then I have complete confidence. Is God going to fail you? God will not fail you. So I have a complete confidence. That's what he says there. So run the race as if you won it. Oh, I got this. Because you're going you're gonna to win it. We're to run as if we will win. And guess what? We will. So dissatisfaction, devotion, direction, determination, and one final essential element, and it is discipline. And we find it in verses 15 to 16. And, you know, this is so very important. Verses 15 to 16, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Let me break this down. Looking at verse 15 only here, he says, have the mind here pressing forward um, and not thinking otherwise, not looking back. That's what he's saying. Your, your, your goal is going forward, not looking back, okay? But if any one you, of you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Well, what is he talking about there? If you are supposed to have the mind, I'm going forward, I'm not distracted by anything, but if you don't, if you begin to think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Well, how does he, how does he do that? Well, it's in Hebrews 12, and I want to read this to you. Hebrews 12, you can turn there if you like. But Hebrews 12 
speaks about this. What it's basically, basically saying is uh, getting our eye off the prize, getting distracted, getting off the track, pursuing other things. We begin to think that other ways, other things, other means are more important. He says, no, if anyone has this mind, guess what? God reveals it to you. Um, and it's not always pleasant, but God will do it. Why? Because he loves you like a father loves his son. And when your children get off track, what do we do? We correct them. Why? To get them back on track. Because we know where that path leads. But you have a loving God in heaven who is a father, and he wants us back on the track. And Hebrews 12 describes that beginning in verse uh, 5. Uh, he says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which, which uh, speaks to you as to sons, my son, do not despise the chastening or the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's so easy to easy to become undisciplined in our Christian walk. And when we do that, we begin to get off track, and we can find ourselves, honestly, in sin. And when we do that, we have a Father who loves us so much that He chastens us. And He says very plainly, chastening is not fun. It's painful. But what comes from that, guys? You ever been chastened by the Lord? Who hasn't been chastened by the Lord? Because I know I've been chastened by the Lord. But He does that to bring us back on track, and what happens? There's a peaceable fruit of righteousness. We actually are thankful for it because I can easily get distracted. And Lord knows, no, 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 I'm going to bring you right back here. There's many ways that it happens. I've seen over my lifetime for many different things. The Lord has chastened me to bring me back. And no, it's not pleasant at the time. And I often need that reminder to get back on track. We have to be disciplined. And when we're not, he disciplines us. That's what that's talking about. But look back at verse 16 again. That second half, he says, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. So whatever degree of spiritual growth we have attained or we have arrived at, that's what he's speaking about. He says, wherever you are in your life, because we're all at different places, okay? He says, uh, walk, walk this way. Now that word walk is an interesting word, it's stoikeo, and it means to proceed in a row or walk in line, to be in line. What is Paul saying here he's he's saying well well keep in line stay in that track keep committed keep disciplined paul's directive for, uh, for is for christians to stay in line spiritually that's the idea we we cannot get off track there keep growing in sanctification and using the same principles that have brought you this far if you've grown this far by keeping those things continue to do that Think about it. If you, as an athlete, you break the rules of race, or even for the Greek, the training of that, you were disqualified. The same is true here. And Paul even talks about that when he talks about a race, and he talks about receiving the reward. In 2 Timothy 2, 5, he says this, 
And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Yeah? So that was the reason that Paul disciplined his body. He spoke about discipline quite a bit. He says, I got to be disciplined. Otherwise, he feared being disqualified. You know, a lot of pastors and a lot of people in ministry have been disqualified over the years. I'm not saying they, they, they weren't saved, but they got off track, didn't they? They got caught up in sexual sin. They got caught up in this and that. And those things got out in the open. Your sin will find you out. And so they're disqualified from what? They're disqualified from ministry. They're, they're disqualified in some regards to some reward in that race, but not necessarily the loss of salvation. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul says this, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He saw the value of his ministry in the lives of others. And one of his motivations was, I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to lose my credibility. That's one of the things that keeps, tries to keep me in line. I, I, I don't want to lose my credibility to you, you know, my relationship to you. I think back to the value of those men in my life early in my Christian walk. If one of those men had stumbled in a way, uh, in, a, in a way that was grievous, I, I would have been rocked. And that would have been hard uh, for me. And so let that be a motivation too. Why? Because again, going back to what I said earlier, you should be discipling others in your life. There should be people looking up to you and those people should be looking up to them. And there's just this whole line, right? And so what keeps you in line is I, I want to have the right example for them because we're told to follow one another as we follow Christ. We're also told to examine ourselves, to give ourselves an honest appraisal of our spiritual position. Maybe for you, the appraisal is, do I am I even in the race? Am I even in that? Am I saved, in other words? Do I, do I have faith? I mean, in, am I in the faith? Do I have eternal life? So in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul uses this, this. He says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. So there he speaks about disqualification in the form of salvation. He says, there's an examination that you can do to see if Christ is really in you. Examine yourself. You'll know if Christ is working in you or not. He says, unless you've been disqualified from that. If you're indeed in the faith, then you must also examine yourself, but you examine yourself not for your spiritual position, but your spiritual growth. We will give an account to Jesus at the Bema seat judgment. And Bema is the same Greek word for that place where the Greeks would receive their reward for the race. That's where the Bema seat judgment uh, comes from. And that's what I read in 1 Corinthians 3 earlier. It's about the rewards uh, given to us by Christ. And so to close here, Romans 14.10 says this, but why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You, you, you don't want to look at others and how they're doing. Oh, I can't believe they're doing this poor. You're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ as well. How are you spiritually? Don't get distracted by others. Look at yourself. It's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. I, I want to stress again, that is not for a salvation. This is not a judgment seat of condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but it is of rewards. What will Jesus say to you? Do you want to hear those words? Well done, good and faithful servant. I sure do. Running this kind of race of faith, you know what? It's an exciting experience. I'd never trade it in. I've never looked back. This is, yeah, there's hard things, but it is exciting because the Holy Spirit is working in your life. So can I just end with your, your ultimate focus? Where, where do you focus? Where do you begin? 
Kevin, you gave me these five D words. I mean, I, I'm my head swimming. Where do I start? Hebrews 12, which will be there soon enough. Remember, the writer of Hebrews is talking about all these spiritual heroes, isn't he? And he's talking about Noah, and he's talking about Abraham, he's talking about all these guys. And when he's done, he gets to Hebrews 12, he says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these great people of the past, heroes of the faith, (coughs) let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, we have a cloud of witnesses. We have people in our past that have shown us they've been faithful to God. We have people in our present, right, who are running the race with us. It's so important. He says, therefore, since we have all this fellowship, we have all this this help around us, help each other to lay aside the the sin that instead, let's all run the race. He says, but what are we all looking to? One another? Nope. We're all looking the same person, Jesus Christ. He's the author. He's the finisher. But let's do it together, shall we? I am looking forward to this 2023. I, am, I honestly am. I'm hoping that you guys pick up Bible reading plans. I hope that you get committed there. I hope you grab someone and say, you know what? I need an you know, accountability partner. You know, would you do that? Would you commit to, to meeting with me or just even talking to me once a month? So important. We need that in our lives. So I want to encourage you people. You can do this. Uh, I see so much of this happening organically. I don't have to program it. It happens all the time. It's amazing. I love that. I want to encourage you. If you've struggled this past year, you kind of sort of fizzled out in your spiritual growth. You kind of feel like, ah, where's my... Here's a place to start. Look at an honest evaluation of yourself. Where am I? Where do I want to go? And start with looking at Jesus and then just run the race. Let me pray. God, thank you so much. We love you. You're a good God. We love that we can be in this race. It is such an exciting experience, the Christian life. I've always said that, Lord, and you just never know where you're going to direct us, what you're going to do, who you're going to put in our path. Lord, um, each of us should be able to look back in our lives and see how much you love us because of the difficult things you've put us through, because you, you want to bring about a certain result. We can look back as well at um, even the good things that you've done, the Ebenezer stones that we set up in our life to say, you have done this this far in my life. Those are there to encourage us forward, but help us, Lord, to, to no longer look back, but to look forward to you, to pursue you, to be not, not be distracted by the things, the cares of this world and all the many things that get us off course, Lord. Would you, would you help us by your spirit, empower us, Lord, to be disciplined in our, our spiritual walk. It, it does take that kind of effort. We know that you strengthen us from within, that you empower us, but uh, we can't just sit back and let it happen. We've got to want you. Would you help your people this year to really want you? We want a closer walk with you because we love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us a closing song?